I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. Trump administration backtracks on its narrative once again. You know, I said when when Trump first got elected, one of the things I said was <coughs> that every president should and every politician should face the criticism and the the challenging of their narratives the way that that Trump has been challenged and criticized by the media. There are obvious falsehoods that the media puts out there, narratives that the media follows to keep people from looking at the truth, but there there's also been some good journalists and some good reporting on on different things and not letting trump get a, get away with spreading falsehoods um on on some important issues in some instances you think back to when Obama was in office and you had the Fast and the Furious scandal and nobody really asked him much about that. They, they asked him once, got, got their answer and moved on. They didn't hammer him on it for weeks. They didn't make a big spectacle out of Senator Grassley's investigation into the ATF in the Obama administration and what had been going on there. No arrests were made. Nobody lost their job. There was nothing came to fruition. And it's that adage that how do you expect the government to police themselves, you know, type deal. Yes, we did some wrong things. We're going to investigate and figure out what it was. But nobody is going to be punished for it. No one is going to pay the price for it. We're not looking backwards. We're not going to go after the Bush administration for its torture program, for the CIA torture program that it signed off on. We are moving forward. We said we were going to close down Guantanamo, but that requires us to reveal 
too many secrets and we're going to just hold these prisoners here and shut up about the whole situation. Yes, Clapper lied, but in front of Congress, and if anybody else were to have done it, it would be a felony. But we're just going to act like it never happened. He told the truth as best as he possibly could at that particular moment. Unfortunately, there was that snake, Ed Snowden, that revealed the truth, and we have to punish him. Yes, there are war crimes going on in Afghanistan, but we are not going to hold any of the people responsible for the war crimes. We're going to go after those that expose the world war crimes. Therefore, Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange are enemies of the state. And when you when you begin in seeing this spectacle play out in front of you, you begin to realize that though these people go on and on about the rule of law, that that law only applies to those of us that aren't part of the instrument of the state. That, that, that law only applies to those of us that are not furthering state power. And therefore, if the state must break the law, those within the state must break the law in order to further the reach and scope and power and wealth of the state, then it is perfectly acceptable. And that if exposing the state may be classified under breaking the law, you will be prosecuted to the furthest extent of the law. They will ruin your life. They will torture you for years. And you will be left to die a quiet death in a dungeon somewhere. But when Trump came into office, this changed to an aspect. And it changed in a way because Trump's idea of a strong state does not revolve around world empire. Trump's idea of a strong state revolves around a type of nationalism that expects sovereign nations other countries to care for their their own matters and their own dealings not the expense of the United States for these things, at least in some aspects. As far as NATO goes, Trump does not, he's not a large supporter of NATO. Now, he's made no effort to end the alliance. His entire effort is based around getting European countries to spend more money so the U.S. can spend less money. 
but not to end this ally power. When it comes to sending troops into Saudi Arabia to fight alongside Al-Qaeda in Yemen, he doesn't, he's not opposed to the idea. He's just opposed to the U.S. paying for it. So Saudi Arabia now pays the United States some of the money that the United States gives to Saudi Arabia in order to have the U.S. troops support al-Qaeda and Saudi Arabia in Yemen. He doesn't want to shut down the base in South Korea. He just wants South Korea to pay for the base in South Korea, to pay for the troops in South Korea. Ultimately, he wants the United States military, when used in foreign entanglements, to be viewed as a mercenary service, as Blackwater was, or as any other private military and private military contractors that the United States uses in these foreign wars. There, there's an aspect of common sense to it, but it takes away the, the entire facade that America is acting in its own interests, that that these men and women in uniform are going over to foreign countries and dying and coming back mentally and emotionally scarred in an effort to support American interest and to further freedom and to fight for the rights of the American people and for and guarding our borders against foreign invasion. It completely eradicates the lies that we've been told for so many years. In in many ways. Yet he comes out upon the death of Soleimani, the assassination of Soleimani, and he claims that there was an imminent threat that Soleimani posed and that there were four U.S. embassies that were going to be targeted by Soleimani because of his trip in Baghdad. And he sticks with this narrative for a little over a week until more information begins coming out. And then he kind of backtracks. He says, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why we killed Soleimani. What he was planning on doing in the future is of no bearing. He was a bad guy. He's paying the price for what he did in the past. 
And they continue to fall back on the lie that he was responsible for 600 American soldiers being killed. And that these EFP explosives, this this special IED that was being discovered in uh, in Iraq was the technology of the Iranians and that the Iraqis did not have the capabilities of making this. And this, this lie continues. But if you listen to Matthew Ho on Scott Horton's podcast, he made it perfectly clear how actually it's not a very... Uh, technological advancement that was being made with these IEDs. What they did is they used copper balls that were blown out of these explosives into the sides of MRAPs or Humvees and the kinetic force upon entering the Humvee would create destruction within the vacuum of the vehicle and kill every everything and everybody that was inside the vehicle. And that all the material needed needed for this was found in unguarded warehouses all across Iraq. And that these warehouses of munitions had been unguarded all across Iraq for years. Anybody could have accessed them. The CIA could have accessed them. ISIS could have accessed it. Yet, we're supposed to believe that it was Soleimani. It had to have been Soleimani smuggling in these munitions from Iran. But it was a very basic engineering and machining being implemented to create these devices that these devices were not high tech by any stretch of the imagination they were just high explosive and very deadly <clears throat> it would be i mean just from the explanation that ho had laid out there and I could be simplifying it a little bit too much, but it sounded a lot like, you know, musket technology, where it was blasting this ball of metal into a vehicle, creating devastating effects within this vehicle due to the energy used to shoot this ball and the force at which it hit the vehicle is a uh, I wouldn't say barbaric but it was antiquated to say the ba- best yet And when Pompeo is hammered on this for just over a week, he finally says, 
Well, I mean, he basically used the Bill Clinton defense. It depends on what your definition of imminent is, right? I mean, he's like, well, maybe it wasn't an imminent threat, but there was a potential for a threat. He's definitely a dangerous guy. He's a terrorist, don't you know? That we're, we are setting a precedent in which we are going to label military leaders of foreign governments that we disagree with as terrorists. I mean, how long before you start hearing about Russian military being terrorists? We're not going to hear about the Azov Battalion being Nazis because, well, we're funding and arming them. So, obviously, the Russian military men and women fighting the Azov Battalion must be terrorists, right? Because they're not on our side. How about China? When do we hear about them being terrorists? as they're flexing their muscles and considering trying to claim the South China Sea as their national, their sovereign territory. When do we get to hear about them being terrorists? And what about from the Iraqi perspective? What if they flew a drone into the United States? And bombed Dick Cheney. Is he not just as responsible for Iraqi deaths as they are claiming Soleimani was for American deaths? Do we get up in arms or do we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's just another terrorist dead? Now, there are a lot of narratives going around at the moment. Some people are saying that Soleimani was becoming a threat to Iranian power and people had felt that he had consolidated too much power and that Iran wasn't really all that upset about the death of Soleimani. I don't know if I'll buy that. Um, even America has had many generals in its history that have garnered tons of power. And though some people may have been, uh, had objected to the amount of power that some of these generals had had been granted upon them. I don't know if someone who is viewed as heroic as Soleimani would would be able would would have en- enough enemies within the state of Iran to create that kind of hostility 
Um, I could be wrong, but I think, you know, I'm thinking of like an Eisenhower or a Washington or a Patton. He was, he was a celebrity as well as the top military official and the number two in the entire government of Iran. So it's a little hard for me to believe that Iran is just shrugging it off. It, it really feels like during the given the amount of turmoil the country of Iran was facing last year with the protests, it feels like this acted as kind of a sedative and um, unified all Iranians in much the same way that 9-11 had uh, acted to unify the United States in 2001. Um, I, I think the Iran Iranian people took this as a slap in the face. And, you know, um, I have recently seen some of the damage that occurred at the military facility, um, al-Assad. Uh, it appears some barracks were destroyed and um, some facilities used for storing munitions and um, some in uh, some bunkers. But um, I, I thought I saw a story saying that there were two Americans killed in the attack, but I have not been able to verify any of this. So I will continue to look and see if anything happened, um, that I can, you know, I can be verified, but it, it still appears that nobody was killed in the missile launches. Um, from everything I can see. But it just goes to show you how important these narratives are to these people. They put out the narrative that they feel is the strongest upon the initial attack. And then as more facts come out and more people begin to investigate and ask questions and look into the situation in more detail, they move the goalposts just like they did with Syria. You know, we had to go in there for a 90 day mission to save the Yazetis from the side of the mountain. Then we had to stay there because ISIS was out of control because we set them loose in the country. And then Assad was gassing his own people, so we definitely couldn't leave. And then we had to protect the Kurds. So on, so forth. The lies keep going on and on and on and on and on. No one ever learns their lesson. No one ever turns around and says, you know what? i been buying into this propaganda ever since I was a kid 
yet they lied about Vietnam. They lied about the Gulf War. They lied about Nicaragua. They lied about Colombia. They lied about Somalia. They lied about weapons of mass destruction. And then we have the Pentagon Papers that really laid out the lies that led to Vietnam. Now we have the Afghan Papers that lay out 19 years of lies in order to keep America involved in Afghanistan. And still, the boy cries wolf and you go running. How many times? How many times are you going to be fooled? And yet, so... Why can't we demand that more presidents are put under the same scrutiny as Donald Trump? Given the history of all the lies coming out of the Pentagon, the military-industrial complex, the CIA, the DIA, the NSA, the ATF, why can't we demand that they're all put under the same scrutiny as Donald Trump? Why are you demanding that Donald Trump get the same treatment as Obama? Why not demand the next president gets the same treatment as Donald Trump demand the next director of intelligence gets the same treatment as Donald Trump demand every senator gets the same treatment as Donald Trump demand that every member of the House of Representatives gets the same treatment as Donald Trump the Secretary of the Navy should get the same treatment as Donald Trump. <clears throat> if they are in the Department of Education, they should get the same treatment as Donald Trump. If they're in the IRS, they, can, they should get tarred and feathered. And then treated like Donald Trump. I mean, why are we why are we allowing people to give to say, well, you gave Obama a pass, you should give Trump a pass? The narrative should be this is the standard we need going forward because these people are lying. And what you what you're never going to hear them say, what Pompeo will never come out and tell you, what Donald Trump is probably too goddamn stupid to realize, is Soleimani's trip to Iraq was an imminent threat to the United States. It was. It was an imminent threat to the United States. Soleimani's trip to Iraq posed an imminent threat. 
Now, most of y'all are sitting there thinking, well, I thought you said there was no evidence that he was going to bomb embassies. I thought you said there was no evidence that he was responsible for the advanced IEDs that were that were being used by the Iraqis. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say it was an imminent threat to American lives. Wasn't even an imminent threat to the country. Soleimani posed no threat to you or I. He posed no threat to our way of life. He was, he was interested in destroying ISIS and Al-Qaeda and had been very successful in his time in killing ISIS and Al-Qaeda. I mean, if anybody's celebrating, I've said this before, but if anybody's celebrating, it's ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Not to mention Israel, who we find out actually were responsible for providing the United States the intelligence that led to the assassination of Soleimani. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. What is the United States, if not the blow-up dial for Israel? I mean, that's basically what the United States is. It's the equivalent to the pocket pussy for Israel's dick. That's, I mean, that's, that's what the United States is. And anybody who wants to take the time and defend Israel, well, you go ahead and make sure you're wearing red lipstick because I heard Netanyahu really likes that color. Um, anyway, so yes, Soleimani posed an imminent threat to the United States given the reasoning that he was in Baghdad. Soleimani was acting as an envoy in order to find a peaceful resolution to the war in Yemen with the Saudis. The Saudis had sent a letter and Mahdi had agreed to meet with Soleimani and pass over the letter to Soleimani and they were negotiating a peaceful resolution to the war in Yemen. Now, how is this an imminent threat to the United States? Well, it undercuts the United States. It disregards the United States' interests in Yemen altogether. It says this is between us and Saudi Arabia, and the United States has no say in whether or not we reach an agreement and how we choose to conduct our business in the region in which we live. And the United States could not allow that because United States world dominance, the world empire policing the world 
monopolizing the world's resources for the gain of the state, for the expansion and the wealth of the empire, is priority number one for the United States government. So, in the interest of empire, the United States had to put an end to the negotiations. And had they played it somewhat differently, and Trump hadn't come out beating his chest like Conan... It might have turned out that Iran would have pointed the finger to, at Saudi Arabia. But the United States wanted to make sure that both Iran and Saudi Arabia understood that they're playing on our field, that it might be their backyard. But it's the United States world, and they're just living in it. And that undercutting the United States, and that negotiating peaceful resolutions behind the back of the United States, without the United States okay, without adhering to United States interests, and ensuring that the United States gets its due diligence is unacceptable. And that from now on, you better go through the right channels or you're going to face serious consequences. I don't see this as potentially hurting the relationship with Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia kind of goes around and does what they're told to do anyway. But it sends a message to Iraq and Iran and every other nation that claims sovereignty in the region that this is our rodeo we're just allowing you to ride in it and if that weren't enough of a slap in the face when the Iraqi parliament voted to have United States troops leave Iraq the United States said nah go fuck yourself we're not going anywhere and I know a lot of people have given are, are saying, well, it was the Iraqi parliament's fault for passing a non-binding resolution. But what were they going to do? Were they going to declare that the United States had to leave Iraq and then go to war with the United States? Is that what, is that what they were going to do? Was there, is there any logistical way that that is even 
relatively possible, relatively smart upon on the Iraqi government's part? I don't think so. I don't I don't think putting yourself in a situation to declare war on the world superpower is the most intelligent way of operating within a political system in which you're trying to keep you're trying to maintain some sort of stability within your country and you know rebuild the rubble that has been left by this superpower the last time it decided to unleash hell on on you and your people so I don't think Iraq had much of a choice but to put forward a non-binding resolution because how would they have held the line? How would they have drawn, you know, like Obama drawing a red line in the sand and then backing off of it? Because they don't have the military support, the public support, or the capabilities to fight this war. And to force the United States out? No, I think Hassan Nasrallah gave up the strategy of getting the United States out of Iraq, Afghanistan, and other countries in the region. I think you are going to see freelancers and Shia-related groups begin to carry out attacks on military personnel and military facilities. And in their own time, these attacks will begin to be carried out and they are going to try to put enough pressure on the United States in the region that the United States has no choice but to withdraw in order to allow, in order to put not only the region in the sovereignty in the in the in the sovereign control of the nation states that exist within the region but also pressure Israel into a more friendly more neighborly policy in the region and so i think that is what you will see. I don't believe that you're going to see large action taken by Iraq from a parliamentary level that risks putting their the Shia government in danger. And I do not believe that you're going to see any more escalation from the Iranian government that what you are going to see are proxies, freelancers, and Shia-affiliated groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, which Hamas basically focuses on Israel, but like Hezbollah carry out guerrilla attacks around the region trying to put pressure on the United States to pull out of the region.
Will it happen tomorrow? Absolutely not. Is it possible they are able to create enough discomfort in the region that the U.S. pulls out? I don't know. I'm on the fence with that, and that's kind of... The purpose of Donald Trump. I don't know. I don't believe that Donald Trump. If he. If he sees a potential. For an all out conflict. And a large scale. War. On many fronts. And people want to call it World War Three. I don't know if it would be that big. But. If there would be an involvement of Russia, of Iran, and many of these other countries that have interests in the Middle East, if they, if there became these little proxy armies, so to speak, around the region, flooding in from other countries working in contingency with Hezbollah and other Shia other Shiite organizations would Trump risk a potential full frontal all out country versus country war Or would he do like Ronald Reagan after the attacks on the barracks in the 80s and say, eh, this isn't even worth it. These people are fucking crazy. Y'all haven't, you haven't shown me any strategy whatsoever for winning. We're getting our guys out of there. There's no reason we should be dying over in the desert for no reason. I don't know. It's quite possible. It's possible he would pull out and, you know, it's predictable that those people that will cry nuke Iran one day will support him pulling out the next day. So he has this base like Obama did that allows him to do whatever the hell he wants to do. And it's just whether or not he can get around the talking points of the neocons of Pompeo and Esper and all these other guys that are in his ear (coughs) and stick to his promises of getting the United States out of the Middle East. So that's up in the air. I think at the moment, Everybody is waiting to see what happens in the United States elections in November. Depending on how that goes will probably depend on how forceful, how open, and how violent these groups 
in the Middle East get in an attempt to flush the United States out of the Middle East. But other than that, I don't really have much else to say on the subject. I know this has been going around. This has been the last, what, three or four episodes I've done. I've, I've been on, on this this subject. But that's because I keep seeing more and more lies, changes in narrative, you know, moving goalposts, posturing, shifting, adjusting. And I'm just like, this is such fucking bullshit. Let's not forget they fucking lie. Every chance they get, they fucking lie. Pompeo disclosed that he was taught extensively how to lie in the CIA. This is what they do. They lie, they cheat, they steal. Every chance they get, they have full training courses on it. So, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on this subject one more time. Hopefully we can get on to something else later on. I'm looking to get into Bill Browder and the Magnitsky Act any day now. I want to do another episode on Jeffrey Epstein. I want to talk about Susie Dawson and Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange all in deep detail. So these are all subjects y'all can be looking forward to me getting into over the next few weeks. Until then, I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.